Well, good morning and happy Sabbath to each one of you this morning. I want to thank those who have gone before me for their wonderful music this morning, for their opportunity to bring us to the throne room of God by your voices, and, and, and let me just say how much I appreciate seeing each one of you. You know, this morning, it has been my assignment to preach to you on the subject matter of reflecting the shepherd, and in particular, I have been assigned the passage of Scripture that deals with Matthew chapter 25. We want this morning to entitle my message, uh, to the least of these, and this morning I'm going to talk to you about the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this morning, let me just say to you that as we read Scripture, uh, the gospel is filled with stories and parables of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I find them absolutely amazing. And the parables have all been crafted with a, a purpose, and every one of them uh, should tell us three things, three things that we should always look for when we read the parables of Jesus. What does this tell us about God? Number one, what does this parable tell us about God? Number two, what does this parable tell us that the kingdom of God is supposed to look like? And number three this morning, what does this parable teach us on how we are to live our lives? Today I want to talk to you about the parable of the sheep and the goats, and as was read to you this morning in our Scripture reading, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up and take a look at them. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 34, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right hand, and the goats He will place on His left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You know the rest of this parable. You have read it. You're very familiar with it. The parable goes on to say that those who are, you know, uh, uh, have, have done certain things uh, are, 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 are rewarded and are brought into the kingdom, while those who have not done the things that the others did uh, receive a rebuke and are forever banished from the kingdom. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this morning, but a lot of parables that I read, Jesus always tends to give something shocking in them. Always. Some twist that, that takes you by surprise. Sometimes when you finish the parables of Jesus, you, you're a little bit stunned because you weren't expecting that. And I was imagining as the disciples heard this parable, I think that they were perhaps just a little bit shocked by this parable that Jesus gave them. You see, Jesus is painting a picture for us this morning in this parable and in the painting of that picture, he tells us what it's going to be like 
uh, at the end of earth's history, on judgment day, when all the nations are appearing before him, and the king is about to decide who is in and who is out, who's accepted and who's rejected. Jesus, this morning, gives us a powerful parable for our consideration. Now, here's the thing this morning. As the disciples heard about this separation and this judgment, these disciples had some things and some ideas as to who was in and who was out. I mean, it was obvious to the disciples. I mean, if you were Jewish, you were in. But if you were a Gentile, then you're out. If you were a Roman, then you were most definitely out because you could not be part of the kingdom because you were an oppressor of the Jews. Pharisees, well, we know where most of the people wanted them to go. And even the tax collectors, we know where most of those people wanted them to go. Even the prostitutes, we know where some of them wanted them to go. And I'm sure that they had categories in their minds as to who should be saved and who should be lost, who should be in the kingdom and who should be out. But here's the thing. Here's the thing this morning, because the truth of the matter is, if we're really honest today, we have the same kinds of opinions as to who is in and who is out of God's kingdom. I mean, let's face it. If you got the doctrines all right, well, you're in. If you're into ethics and you've lived a good life and you've made good choices, you're in. But if you haven't lived a good life, well, you're out. If you're into politics this morning, you know, if you're into liberalism or conservatism or you're Republic or Democrat, whether you're for Trump or Obama, depending on what side of the coin you're on, you're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom. In the sports world, we all know that the Toronto Maple Leafs are in and the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers are out. I thought I'd get some reaction to that this morning. Let me tell you, even in church, even in church, even in the Seventh-day Adventist church, we have our own assumptions and opinions as to who is in and who is out. I mean, after all, If you're a good Seventh-day Adventist, you come to Sabbath school every week, you come to church faithfully, you return tithe, you show up to prayer meeting, you are in the kingdom. But if you show up and you're not wearing a tie, or you're wearing blue jeans, or maybe you haven't studied your Sabbath school, or maybe you don't come to Sabbath school, there are some of us who have the opinion, well, those folk, they're out. Now, here's the thing this morning. The reality is, is that every one of us has an opinion. Every single one of us has an opinion, and every one of us has influences upon us that causes favoritism and and, and creates for us prejudice according to what we like and what we want. And I don't care who you are this morning. You could be the conference president. You could be the treasurer. You could be the pastor of the church, or you can be the janitor of a church. We all have our prejudice. We all have our likes, and we all have our dislikes. 
And what's really shocking to me, what's really shocking to me about this parable is that Jesus says that on judgment day, when it comes down to whether or not you and I are in or out of the kingdom, it really comes down to one thing and one thing only. Are you ready for this this morning? Jesus says that when it comes to his separation of the sheep and the goats, it comes down to one thing and one thing only, and that is how have you treated the poor and the needy, the lonely and the disenfranchised? And I think this morning, if we are a little bit honest this morning, it's really shocking to some of us to think that our eternity will be determined by how you treated those who were less fortunate than you. Now, this parable this morning has, has led to some theological debate. I will be the first to acknowledge that this morning. And uh, this morning, as we uh, flip through the rest of the Scripture here on the screen until I get them to my next slide this morning, here's the question. Who are the least of these that Jesus speaks about? Because he said, insomuch as you have done it unto the least of these. Who are the least of these? Some say that these are actual Christians. And they justify their coming to that opinion because some chapters back in the Scriptures, Jesus sent his disciples out and he told them, if anyone receives me, if anyone receives you, they are receiving me. And another place, Jesus said to them, uh, who are my brothers and my mother and my sister? And then he answers his own question. He says, it is the one who does the will of my Father. So some people have concluded that these brothers are actually Christians, fellow Christians, but I wonder this morning, I wonder, is that what Jesus really meant? If it is, then this is a great encouragement to me, for you see, what it basically then says is, you and I don't have to worry about the judgment day because other people are going to be judged upon how they treated me. I wonder this morning. Is that what Jesus had in mind? This morning, I'd like us to look at the context of this passage. Jesus here is giving a long discourse. It, it begins in Matthew chapter 24. He is uh, not trying really to comfort his disciples uh, through this parable. In fact, Jesus is actually challenging them. You see, this conversation Jesus is having actually starts in Matthew chapter 24 and in verse 1. And the disciples are, are showing Jesus the temple. It's a beautiful building. Huge stones, shining glorious roof. And there's great pride in these disciples. And then Jesus drops the bombshell. He says, you see this? In just a few short years, all of this is going to be torn down. Not one stone upon another. And they're shocked. How could this be? This must be the end. 
And so they begin to question Jesus. When is this going to happen? What will be the sign of the end? And Jesus then, in Matthew chapter 24, gives them the signs of the end time. And then Jesus does something that so few of us actually notice. But it's important this morning to understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus, instead of focusing them on the end times, instead of spending his time focusing on the signs, the majority of the end of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25 is taken up with how to live while we wait for his return. And he tells them three parables. In the first parable, found at the end of Matthew chapter 24, you'll find the parable of the ten virgins. And he says to them, you know, to be awake, to be alert, to be ready, to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives while we wait. And then he tells them, In Matthew chapter 25, beginning uh, with verse uh, 1, he tells them about the parable of uh, of the talents. I'm sorry, that's Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And he tells them of the parable of the talents. And it's not just a cute story uh, that, 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 uh, you know, that he's telling here. He's telling them that as they wait for Jesus to come, as they wait for the second coming, they are be to be productive with the gifts that he has given them, with their talents. And then he tells them the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this is not a cute story. This is not a cute story that suggests not to worry that people uh, will be judged by how they treat you. No, let me tell you this morning, the parable is challenging us as followers of Christ that we demonstrate that we are followers by the way we live our lives, especially in response to the poor and the needy. In fact, let me tell you this morning, Jesus talks about being hungry. He talks about being thirsty. He talks about being homeless, about being naked, about being sick, about being in prison. And all of these are things that humanity has in common. And they are not needs that are unique to Christians. They are universal in nature. And so this morning, I would submit to you that Jesus in this parable is identifying himself with all of humanity. What Jesus is saying is that when you treat a needy person in a certain way, you're treating me, Jesus, that way. Folks, this is consistent this morning with the story in Scripture where Jesus is asked one day, Lord, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds and says, your neighbor is any person that your eyes fall on who is in need. You see, uh, Jesus' motivation in this parable was to have the disciples think about how they were treating the poor and the needy, those who were less fortunate to them, those who were disenfranchised, those who were on the fringes of society. And that's who Jesus is approaching. 
That's who he's calling his disciples to pay attention to. So this parable and my submission is not about us as Christians. It is really about humanity and how we are responding to humanity. And that leads us to the second theological question that comes up. And that is, well, pastor, if we're going to be judged by what we do, then isn't that works? That's the question that I often get. Is the parable saying that we get into heaven by doing good works? Pastor, I thought that we were saved by grace. Listen this morning. This is not a parable about how to be saved. We all know as we look at the fullness of Scripture, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But let me tell you this morning that when you are saved by grace through faith, there is something that happens within you, something that stirs within you, that, that, that gives you a new life and a new heart and new love for those around you. And here's the thing. Once you're saved by grace, it really does affect how you and I live. It really does. This parable is a, a parable of, of, of peoples whose lives have been transformed by grace and, and that the way they now live their life is having a dramatic impact on those around them. Now, let me ask you. Let me ask you the important question this morning. How do we respond how do we respond to a parable like this? I mean, we just read the parable. We've looked at the parable. And the parable says that if we do this, then we will be rewarded. If we don't do it, then we will be condemned. How do we respond? I'd like to submit to you this morning that we respond with open eyes. This parable requires us this morning to respond with open eyes. You see, the reality is this morning we're all pretty busy. Sometimes we get focused on, on, on trying to get from point A to point B, trying to, to get things done. But sometimes, sometimes we need to slow down. We need to slow down just a little bit and be more aware of the surroundings that we're in. To be more aware of the needs that are around us. The parable would teach us this morning to open our eyes. The Bible teaches us that, that one day when Jesus went out, he saw great multitudes coming towards him. And the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. Why? Because he opened his eyes and he saw the needs of the people who were coming. Can I submit to you this morning that Jesus wants us to live our lives in a manner that our eyes are constantly open, looking for someone who's discouraged, looking for someone who's down on their luck, looking for someone who is ill, looking for someone who is going through a difficult time in life, whether they're poor or rich, whether they're black or white, whether they're red or green. 
God wants us to live our lives with open eyes. That's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. He wants us to understand we have to live our life with eyes that are open that we might see as Jesus sees. And then, and then Jesus wants us to help meet that need. Did you hear what I just said? I said, Jesus wants us to help meet that need. Too many of us have an attitude, somebody else will take care of the problem. Somebody else will help. Somebody else will do it. When you see the need, Jesus is saying, you have a personal responsibility. You know, we have wonderful technology around us. Technology has brought us all kinds of information. Over the past couple of months, as you know, there's been a great deal of, of, of civil unrest, a stirring that's happening. We're able to have instantaneous pictures sent to us of what is taking place. And it is horrifying to our eyes. We see wars and, and we see shootings and, 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 and we see other problems in the world, drought and flooding. But the problem is this. We've become so used to it. We've become so used to seeing these images. Many of us are no longer moved by the images. They're just images on a screen. And it doesn't personally affect us. But I'm here to tell you this morning that with information comes responsibility. With information comes responsibility. You see, when you hear about things happening in, in some place, uh, uh, we say, uh, what can I do about that? I'm not there. I can't help. Oh, yes, you can. Let me share with you this morning from the World Bank. In, in 2015, in, in 2015, the World, the World Bank uh, 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 published a, 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 a study. And they said 10% of the world's population or 734 million people live on a dollar and 90 cents a day. Let that sink in for a minute. A dollar 90. The World Bank goes on to say that as a result of the COVID-19 that we are going through right now, another 34 to 40 million people could actually end up in the same situation. You see, how can we hear that info? How can we see it on television and simply, you know, turn off the television or close the magazine? When we open our eyes and see the things that are happening, it should impact our life.
In 2004, I, I took a mission trip to, to uh, Havana, Cuba. I took a group of kids with me from my church. And, and let me tell you that in Havana, Cuba, uh, most of the folks are living on less than $15 U.S. a month. There was a little old lady there who lived next door to La, La Vibro Seventh-day Adventist Church. And for my uh, uh, Hispanic friends this morning, uh, Feliz Sabido. This little lady lived next door to the church, and, 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 and her greatest wish for us, her greatest ask of us is, please, please take me back to Canada. She said, I, I would rather die with Paul Martin than I would with Fidel Castro. We got to the airport on our trip back, and there was a young woman there with a young baby, and she begged us, Please take my baby back with you. Can I, can I be real with you this morning? To understand what poverty is all about, what I need to do this morning is I need to come into your house. And when I come into your house, I want to take away your couch. I'm going to take away your DVD player, your entertainment system, I'm going to take away your internet, your television, almost all your furniture, leaving you just an old table and chair. I'm going to take away most of your dishes. I'm going to take away your microwave and your washer and your dryer. I'm going to take away your beds so that you get a blanket to sleep on on the floor. Your house is too big. And so I'm going to take away your house and I'm going to give you uh, your garage and, and, and you're going to live in, in, in that garage and, and, and you're not going to have a vehicle and, and you're not going to have electricity and, and you're not going to have running water and you're not going to have a toilet that flushes. You're going to have a shower, but it's a communal shower and, and, and there it's only giving you cold water. You're only going to get the clothes that's currently on your back only what you're currently wearing right now. And all of the fresh produce that's in the refrigerator, that's gone. The refrigerator is gone. And all the canned foods. And, and, and the only thing you're left with is beans and rice, some old potatoes, some flour and salt. And then you're not going to have grocery stores. No Sobeys, no, no, no frills. Uh, there's a school, but it's, it's three miles away, and there's no bus, and so your children have to walk to school. And, 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 and there's a medical clinic, not a hospital, a medical clinic, but it's 10 miles away, and you're doing all of this living on $1.90 a day. Almost a billion people in our planet live that way. You see, this parable this morning is meant to challenge us. And it challenges me. You see, so our first response is not to stick our heads in the sand and be alert to what's going on around us. It, 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 we have to be alert. The second thing that this parable should do for us is that it should cause us to reflect on our own personal values and our own personal lifestyle. See, here's the reality this morning. When you and I see how the others are living in the world, it should cause us to reflect upon it. What 
we are seeing becomes a mirror where we begin to think about how I have spent the money that I have, how I have spent my energy, how have I spent my resources. And we should be asking ourselves questions. Am I focused upon myself? Have I done anything for someone else? Where have I spent my money? Did it all go for stuff? Did it all go for me? Have I given help to someone else? Many years ago, I took another mission trip. We went to a little town called Huitzilia, Mexico. And there in Huitzilia, Mexico, we were asked to help to set a foundation uh, in for a rescued children's ranch. And, and, and as we were preparing to go, I received a phone call from a non-Seventh-day Adventist father. And he said, Pastor, I hear that you're going on a mission trip. My friend, or my son, is, is friends with, with some of the people who are going. And, and Pastor, I would really like for my son to go. And I was a little bit uneasy with that. I said, let me meet and let me talk with you. And so he sat me down and he explained to me that, that he was affluent, that he was employed in the oil industry, and so he had his big car. He had not only big car, but he had a big truck as well. He had a big home. He had snowmobiles. He had all the modern joys and toys of life. But he was concerned because his boy knew nothing, only luxury and ease. And he wanted his boy to understand. And so he asked if I would take him, and we carried him along, and he worked along with us. And, and the last night that I was there, I, 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 I was preparing uh, to, to pack up and, and to go when I noticed this young boy. His name was Michael. I noticed the young boy out, out on the side sitting by the fence, and he was weeping openly. And I went to him, and I said, Michael, what's wrong? And all he could say is, Pastor John, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And I said, Michael, what's not fair? He said, they have so little, and we have so much. That boy got on the plane to come back. And when he did, he brought no clothing with him. He had given it all away. That boy brought no shoes. He had given it all away. And oh, my friends, he was so struck by the poverty and the needs of others that he suddenly realized that by the standards of his life, he was very rich. And here's the truth this morning. Here's the truth this morning as it is in Jesus. If you this morning have food in your refrigerator, if you have clothes on your back, if you have a roof over your head, if you have a place to sleep tonight, then you are richer than 75% of the world tonight. And if you have money in your wallet today, if you have money in a bank account or you have spare change on your bedside table, then you today are in the top 8% of wealthy people in the world. You know, sometimes we buy into this, this lie that we've got it really rough here. I mean, unemployment, you know, I, 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 I'm without a job, but we have unemployment insurance. 
You know, we, we're sick, but we have some of the best hospitals in the world. We, you know, we, we, we have crop failure, but we have insurance. And, and, and we have an aging population. And we have an aging population because we are actually living longer. Sometimes, sometimes I think the people of God need a little bit of a reality check. This parable should inspire us to open our eyes, to reflect on the values in our lifestyle. And I want you to notice something this morning. Notice it says to reflect on our own values and lifestyles, not your neighbors. We're pretty good at that, aren't we? You see that nice house that they have? You see the car that they drive? You and I must reflect on our own values and lifestyle. And for some, our response to this parable is to live a little bit more simply and to maybe give a little more away. One of the authors that I came across in preparation for this message is Dr. Charles Birch. He was an Aussie who was a scientist and a theologian. And he wrote this book called Challenging the Economic Man. And in his book, he says this, the rich must learn to live more simply so the poor can simply live. How about it, church? What if this morning you and I decided to live a little bit more simply? And what if we actually helped those who are less fortunate? It would be profound. So opening our eyes reflecting on our values and lifestyles. And this morning, number three, we have to take action. I mean, it's good to reflect, but it's got to lead to something else. Listen this morning. The only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. Because at some point, when God brings you into your surroundings, and you look around you, and you see the need, you are called to take action. Aaron McManus, a preacher from the United States, said this in one of his sermons. He said, doing something right is more important than doing nothing wrong. Did you know this morning that there are roughly 2,100 verses in the Scripture where, where God talks about his concern for injustice, for the poor, and for the oppressed. And listen, listen this morning. Here's the reality this morning. Some of us as Adventists, we are focused on the Adventist message to our detriment. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we become too focused on keeping the Sabbath and making sure we're eating the right foods, and making sure that we're attending all the right meetings, and that we are doing nothing wrong to break the commandment. But we're not doing what God requires. What McManus is saying is that it's more important to do something right rather than doing something wrong. And this parable this morning gives us a little list. You see someone hungry, you give them something to eat. 
You see them naked, you give them clothes to wear. You, you, you see them in prison, you, you, you visit them. You, you see them thirsty, you give them something to drink. You, you see them sick, you care for them. If you see your brother and sister hurting, you sit with them. This is just a representative list. There could be a whole host of other things this morning. Homelessness, the lack of education, rampant racism in our society, underemployment. Listen this morning. The purpose of the parable is to call us to do something in response to the need that we see in the community. So what can you do? Well, first of all, you can sit and you can listen. Notice I said sit and listen. Too many of us are willing to sit and talk, but there are few of us that are willing to sit and to listen. You, you personally can help in a women's shelter. You, you can volunteer with the boys and girls clubs. You can be a big brother or a big sister. You can get involved in literacy training. You can work with homeless shelters. You can provide food and clothes. You can work with Habitat for Humanity. You can sponsor a child overseas. You can help a senior. You can work with indigenous people. You can get involved in a bread ministry. You can give financially to someone in need. The other day, it's probably a couple of months ago now, I went to Dollarama to pick something up. And I saw her as soon as I pulled up. She was out of place. She was an old woman. I, I would say old, please don't be offended by this, but, but I would say that she was in her uh, late 70s, probably pushing on 100, if you know what I mean. She had had a hard life. And she's sitting there, and, and as I get out of the vehicle, she approaches me and says, Sir, do you have a dollar? I'm hungry. Well, I was going to get something at the store. I had a total of $7 on me. That's it. And I was so moved by, by an elderly woman in the downtown area of Edmonton begging for money, for food, that I reached into my pocket and suddenly what I was going for was no longer important. And I gave her all of my money. Listen, can I speak to you for a minute this morning? Giving money is good, but not as good as getting involved and helping personally. You see, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we're good people. We, 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 we're good at giving. We pride ourselves in giving, especially if there's a tax receipt associated with it. And so we, 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 we say, here, here, pastor, take some dollars. You go help that person. Let me tell you something. God is calling you to get involved personally this morning. My family came to the Seventh-day Adventist church because of somebody who had a heart like Jesus if you want to reflect the Savior this morning, if you want to be serious about your faith and reflect the Savior, then this is what we need to do. Victor Gill came to our small town as a pastor. And when he came to our small town as a pastor, there were no Seventh-day Adventists there. 
He began work in a dark county, and he began by going to people who were in need. One man who was old and decrepit needed his fingernail or his toenails cut. Uh, uh, my own mother, who had just had a baby, uh, my, my, my infant brother, uh, my baby brother, and she was not well from, from that particular uh, birth. And, 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 and Pastor Gill's wife found out and called and said, hey, I'm coming up to help. And as she's walking up the mile and a half to our house, she sees a woman out by the clothesline who looks sickly and not well well. And so she takes the basket, assuming that it's my mother, and sends that woman back into the house and hung out the lady's clothes only to discover she was at the wrong house. Just a few months later, through a unique set of circumstances, my family were forced out of the house that we had lived in as children. And my father, who worked hard to cut his own lumber, tried to build his own house. And in the middle of a nor'easter storm, a nor'western storm coming down on the, off the waters of Newfoundland, that house disintegrated under the great winds of over 120 kilometers an hour. In the morning, there was nothing left except broken pieces of lumber. I remember my parents weeping. What are we going to do? We have labored so hard. And there came the next morning a knock on the door. And there stood Victor Gill and Lawton G. Lowe and a bunch of other people who I don't even know who was there. But they said, hey, we've come to help you. And those men picked up the lumber that could be salvaged and they bought new lumber and they brought it in and they put my parents' house back up. You see, that leads me to point number four this morning in my message. We need to recognize that when we meet the needs of the people, we are meeting a great evangelistic opportunity. A little church that was started by Victor Gill in the area where there are no Seventh-day Adventists began because of his labor of love and him reflecting the love of the shepherd. Your conference president came from that church. Your pastor this morning came from that church. The results of his labor have produced fruit that is spread all across the country. Because one man thought it was his responsibility to simply share the love of Jesus. Listen to this quote this morning from Ministry of Healing. You, you know it well. Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching people. The Savior mingles with the people as one who desires your good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he invited them, follow me. We don't read the rest of it, but here's what it says. We need to come close. We need to come close to the people by personal effort. If we would give less time to sermonizing, you hear that preachers? If we would give less time to sermonizing and more time to personal ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick cared for, and the sorrowing and the bereaved 
comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of the love of God. This will not, cannot be without fruit. Listen to me this morning, church. If you want to grow your church, then you must be in your community. You must be meeting the needs in your community. See, here's a truth this morning. The Holy Spirit is interested in their spiritual needs, but he needs us to help meet their temporal needs first. We need to see Jesus in people. The hope that he wants to bring to their lives. It's easy for us to treat people who we think they are. You see the goats in this parable this morning. Well, Jesus, if we only knew it was you, we would have done it. We would have been there with bells on Jesus if we had known it was you. See, the challenge for you and I this morning is to see Jesus in every single person. And Jesus is challenging you this morning to reflect the shepherd's character, and to see the good in all humanity. When Peter messed up, denied the Lord, cursing and swearing and saying, I don't know the man, Jesus reinstated him to his apostleship. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus responds, feed, love, and care for my sheep. Finally, this morning in conclusion, how do we respond? The parable reminds us that our worship, that our service is an act of worship for him. I want to share with you in closing this morning three passages of Scripture that scares the daylights out of me. And I hope it will move you this morning. The first passage is found in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. I'm reading from the Message Bible this morning. Listen to what God says. I can't stand, he says, your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences. I'm fed up with your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans, and your goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations, and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy eagle music. When was the last time, God says, you actually sang to me? Do you know what I want? Notice what Jesus says. Notice what God says this morning. He says, I want justice. I want oceans of it. I want fairness. I want rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want, God says. Oh, that passage burns at me this morning. Here's another one this morning. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 4 to 7. Notice what it says this morning from the Message Bible. Clean up your act, the way you live, the things you do, so I can make my home with you in this place. Don't for a minute believe the lies being spoken here. This is God's temple, God's temple, God's temple. God says, nonsense, total nonsense. If only... 
Only if you clean up your act, the way you live, the things you do, only if you do a total spring cleaning on the way you live and treat your neighbor, only if you quit exploiting the street people, the orphans and the widows, no longer taking advantage of innocent people on this very site and no longer destroying your souls by using this temple as a front for other gods. Do we do that? Do we come to church trying to be a fashion show? Do we come to church wanting to show how great we are, how pious we are? God goes on to say, only then will I move into your neighborhood. Only then will this country I gave your ancestors be my permanent home in my temple. Oh, that hurts. And then... Finally, this morning, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Notice what God says. Quit, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, your monthly conferences, your weekly Sabbaths, the special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand, God says, one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them, God says. You've worn me out. And do you know Why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home. Wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong, God says. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the downtrodden and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. Welfare ministry. In case we think that this is for some other Christians. Ellen White, in reference to this passage, says this. The reasons why God's people are not more spiritually minded and have not more faith. I have been shown, she says, because they are narrowed up with selfishness. The prophet here, she says, is addressing Sabbath keepers. That's you and me. Not sinners, not unbelievers, but those who make great pretensions of godliness. It is not the abundance of your meetings that God accepts, she says. It is not the numerous prayers, but the right doing, doing the right thing at the right time. You see, Aaron McManus is not so far off the base, is he? So there are two questions left this morning, only two. And every single person here today has to answer the question for themselves. And the question is this, am I a sheep or am I a goat? Am I a doer or am I a do-nothing person? And then the second question is, is there enough evidence to convict me? How is it with you today? Do you need to take a check of your heart to see how you're doing? Jesus didn't give this parable, just tucked it in there for us to toss away. He's teaching us about how we are to live in preparation for the second coming. Allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, preparing ourselves, looking, watching for His coming. 
Then he tells us, use all of our talents and abilities that he has given us for his service. And then in the third and final paragraph, uh, parable of the sheep and the goats, he says to us, do something. So what are you going to do? That choice is yours. We're going to be blessed now with a, an appeal song, a piece of special music. And as the team comes to sing to you this morning, reflect. Reflect inwardly on the message that you have heard, the voice of God that speaks to each one of us today to be responsible for our brothers and sisters. You see, I am my brother's keeper. How about you?